Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello and welcome to the call. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have your company. Today, of course, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Friday, the 30th of July. Great that you can join us on this Friday. Let me introduce our two experts joining us today via Skype for the next hour. Adam Dawes from Shuram Partners and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Adam, Claude, welcome. Thank you. How and um, Claude, how are you? Uh, how are you looking Thanks at the market? Me. How are you looking at the market at the moment? Because um, obviously we've seen a strong session on, on Wall Street overnight. A bit of data to consider. Of course, that overhang in Australia is all about uh, COVID at the moment with the predictions that uh, we're going to be slipping into negative growth this quarter. It's likely to impact um, company growth going forward, is it not? Uh, I mean, yes. Yeah, so the only thing that I've done in response to the current situation in Australia is I've sold out of one of my discretionary retail stocks, um, Dust Group, and um, which I did at slightly above uh, today's levels because I figured that the outbreak would hurt their sales and I have invested quite heavily in a, a, a company that's profitable and dividend paying and I think it's going to be a beneficiary of the outbreak. Um, uh, that's the only real response. I guess the overall movement um, in terms of the last six months almost, really six months, I guess the beginning of this year, a lot of the tech and growth and software that I invest mostly in um, has been on quite high valuations. So I guess the main movement for me has been rotating out some of some of those very high valued um, software stocks and, and trying to find some ones that offer slightly better value and that I think are still relatively under the radar. All right. Well, that makes sense. Obviously, you've got to keep active, particularly in this current market. Adam, how are you approaching things at the moment? And interesting, obviously, we're on the eve of reporting season. We'll be looking for guidance, but that won't necessarily be forthcoming. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's one of the key things that I'll be looking for in this uh, reporting season is those outlook statements. And then really going on from there, how those outlook statements are going to be tempered. And I, I think a lot of companies are going to pull back expectations and even potentially, which I'm not really too happy about, but also pull back on dividend forecasts as well. So there's some key things that I'll be looking for. Look, I think this market has pretty much taken the COVID uh, issue in its stride. And I'm really sort of comfortable with some of the other companies that, that, that we've obviously got investing in. And certainly the material stocks continue to do well. 
The banking stocks continue to do well. And they're two key things that I'll be looking through this reporting season. What are the dividends like in, in uh, the material sector? But then also the outlook for the market in the banking side as well. So it's going to be a, a little bit of a mixed bag, I think, this, uh, this August. All right. You mentioned the banking stocks and dividends. Let's get to that for our stock of the day. And it is uh, NAB. In fact, uh, NAB, our news this morning say it will buy back some $2.5 billion of its ordinary on-market shares in August to help restore CT1 capital levels towards its ratio target. And the chief executive, Ross McEwen, saying NAB's strong financial position along with the divestment of MLC Wealth, has led the bank to look further at ways to return capital to shareholders. And the buyback, as mentioned, will begin next month and equates to around 2.9% of NAB's uh, market capital and follows, of course, ANZ's $1.5 billion buyback announcement earlier this month. Adam, how are you yeah. looking at, uh, at NAB? I guess no surprise, given where the banks had to position themselves at the, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, it is. And it's a, look, it's really welcome news to shareholders to get that uh, $2.5 billion. I don't think $2.5 billion is a fairly decent number, too. It's fairly large um, comparing that to ANZ. And, and I suspect most of the banks are going to follow with uh, asset sales as well as other things that they've been doing to sort of give back a little bit to shareholders. Obviously, uh, a buyback is positive for the share uh, market or, or for the result of the shares. Um, I do I do feel, though, that, you know, it would have been nicer if they sort of bumped up their dividend. But I think that they're potentially looking to have a, a better dividend this year or this half anyway. So, um, look, I think it's a positive move for, for the sector, positive move for the stock. And I think uh, depending on your individual circumstances, you would potentially look to take some of that buyback up. OK, so does that do I take that as a, a buy, a hold? What, what are you it's looking a at? Buy. <laughs> it's, yeah, a buy. it's a buy. OK, yeah. Claude. Maybe sort of uh, banks, not your thing, but uh, how are you looking at NAB? Well, I guess so in terms of the actual news today, um, I maybe, I guess I'm probably not uh, an expert in this area, but, you know, I would have thought that the, I guess the share price movement today, which is basically flat, should probably indicate that this isn't hugely, this shouldn't really change the overall thesis, this buyback, I mean, um, I guess it was probably already like largely expected or priced in or, or something because it's up about the same amount today as the other banks. Um, and so I guess that doesn't change my view of it, to be honest, in terms of looking at the long-term NAB. But then I would actually encourage people to look back a bit further, say at least at the five-year chart. I don't know if we've got that. But if we can just um, have a look at that five-year chart, then basically we can see that the share price has gone nowhere over five years. So I would say that, you know, I would argue that except for the dividend, which is fine. If you're a dividend investor, then, I mean, maybe own banks. Another way to play it is just to, and I'd put this, you know, to Adam, like, could you also, would you index for the dividend or own the banks? Because if you actually just own the ASX 200 index, then you actually are owning heavily the banks because they're such a big part of the index. You just got a bit of other diversity in there. I'd argue it's a bit safer. Um, now, in terms of the compared to the other banks, then yeah, actually like NAB probably looks pretty good to me. But overall, I just can't, um, I just don't get why um, individual investors, you know, who wanting to uh, spend time thinking about stocks and try and hone their skills to be um, as valuable as possible. I just don't think you're looking at the right place if you're looking at NAB, like you're going to compete against a legion of like people that are full-time looking at banks, advising big funds and that kind of thing. If you're just an individual investor, your advantage is in the smaller end of the market where 
there's not a legion of analysts and maybe these companies don't have relationships with brokers and there's more equal access to information as well. There's not like private meetings between the company CEO and, and, and analysts and stuff like that. So like, I had a stock that's literally up 90% today. Now, obviously that's a lucky result for me on this exact day, but like that's the kind of thing that's possible in small caps. Like a, a news can move the thing 90%. Now I'm not saying it deserves to be up 90%, but the point is that that's where I choose to play. So in the broader scheme of things, I guess that's why I don't spend too much time thinking about NAB. All right. Hey, what was that stock? What's that stock that's up 90%? Oh, that's a company called Acom. And I actually sold a little bit this morning, so okay. I wouldn't rush out and buy. But like, that was a crazy move. I've not seen something like that very often. All right. So your recommendation for NAB then? Uh, yeah, I would just say, look, honestly, if you own it as part of an index or if you're a long-term dividend investor, hold on. But otherwise, yeah. I, I wouldn't be buying, no. Okay. All right. Okay, so that's NAB, our stock of the day. Now let's uh, get right into it as far as our first stock. And now this one requested by uh, Simon, and he wants us to take a look at uh, Namoy Cotton in the ag space. Yeah, you're waving at it for a very good reason because <laughs> he wants to start with you because he says you mentioned yeah. previously on the show that you find the ag sector too risky. Now he's saying, uh, I'm determined to get Adam interested in at least one of Australia's great ag companies. He says he's a farmer in New South Wales, has a small holding in uh, Namoy, uh, which he purchased earlier in the year off the back of uh, sharp improvement in those seasonal conditions, which we've seen particularly on the east coast of Australia. Uh, so he wants to know your thoughts on that one, Adam. Yeah, well, well, thanks. Uh, put me put me right in the uh, in the middle of that one, and uh, thank you to the viewer as well. Um, yeah, absolutely right. I I don't like or don't like a lot to do with agriculture. I think it's got uh, it's got huge risks all the way through this one, and I'm just a little bit cautious uh, on most ag stocks as as a as a as a rule. Uh, look, this one actually looks doesn't look too bad. Doing some work on it because obviously my name was attached to it, so I really had to look into it as well. But um, look, I, I think this one uh, is, is looks okay. I mean, obviously with agriculture, you need to have a couple of things. You need to have uh, good soil, rainwater and right temperature. And I think we're getting all of those with the, the, the sort of the bumper crops. And most analysts that do look at this one, NAM, uh, are predicting that there is some very large crops uh, that are going to be coming through. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit thinly traded where it is at the moment. But look, they have raised some capitals to strengthen the balance sheet. Uh, they are trading at a material discount to NTA at the moment. And uh, they are one of the leading cotton uh, producers here in Australia as well. So we expect that the, most analysts are expecting earnings growth potential in the next coming couple of years. So for me, I'm going to stick with my rules because as Claude knows very well, as well as all of us in our investing world, you've got to have rules and you've got to stick to those rules. I think that's really, really important. One of my rules is I don't get involved in ag stocks. Look, I think this one, if, if I was pushed, it would be a hold from me because of the backdrop with the extra seasonal rain, soil moisture, those kinds of things. Cotton's a very water intensive business. And that's one of the things, obviously, when Australia does turn around and has that drought, which potentially could happen, uh, that's something that I, I, you know, you'd be a bit, bit cautious about. But uh, if I'm pushed, it's a hold from me. Uh, but I'm going to stay with my rules and uh, ag stocks are something that I don't look at. All right. Stick to your convictions. Um, sounds good, Adam. Claude, uh, it is Australia's biggest uh, cotton processing company. But as Adam mentioned there, agriculture does bring some risk 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love um, Adam's synopsis then. You know, that's actually going to be the same thing for me. I do have a rule against Agtops, but I actually have to say that um, I think that this one is very interesting and it's probably your best bet, excuse me, <laughs> your best bet to um, get someone across the line on ag stocks when they wouldn't usually invest in it. Uh, now, I think um, the thing that you've got to understand about this company is historically it's had a board and um, management that it sort of had split loyalties between, I guess, the growers because this thing started as a cooperative, right, for cotton growers and they had a lot of control when it was first listed. So there's been this tension between growers and, I guess, shareholders. And when it comes down to it, you know, I think a huge, the whole thesis that things would change, things would be um, better off now is that basically that in this day and age, after they've had some big um, changes to the board over the last few years, the argument of, um, you know, my friend Andrew Brown, who, who covered this in his fun letter uh, called E72, you definitely, if you're interested in this stock, you've got to read Andrew Brown's history of uh, Namo, Cotton, Namo Cotton in um, his investment letter it tells you about some of the difficulties they've had in the past the management missteps you know and why it's so cheap because basically the nta according to him is about 68 cents per share well the share price is under 40 cents per share so this is like a typical cigar butt investment you know you're just trying to buy shares and hope that actually the market says well one dollar is worth one dollar and in order for that to happen, they need to start paying bigger dividends and paying out that profit to shareholders and convince the market that the shareholders are going to share in the spoils of the cotton. And if that happens, you know, then you should get a re-rate. So if you're buying now and then they start paying dividends, you get the dividends and you probably get a re-rate as the market decides, hey, come on, these guys are actually okay now. And, you know, supposedly the directors have made clear their intention to pay dividends um, in average or above average cotton season. So if our viewer is feeling bullish as, as a farmer, he would might know better than me, if it's going to be a good cotton season this season, next season, then I'd say that there is a viable thesis there. You know, I wouldn't be a long-term investor in an agricultural company, but if you're buying now for the re-rate and the improvement, you know, I think it makes sense as a thesis. So I'm going to give my tick of approval to the thesis, but um, my myself, Personally, I don't invest in agriculture stocks either, and I don't have the requisite uh, domain knowledge to feel very confident there. So, um, yeah, it would be a no for me personally. All right. Well, yeah, Simon, the, our viewer does have skin in the game, so you can understand his perspective there. All right, that's uh, he might bye be from... in a good position. Yeah, well, absolutely. Okay, that's a no from Claude, a hold from Adam. Uh, okay, let's move to the space of health tech. And Teotech, uh, ticker code ADO. Um, now, Will, he's saying this company is in the field of rapid testing for COVID and recently announcing a distribution agreement in the UK. Of course, this is likely to get attention locally in New South Wales with the government seeking that sort of technology uh, as they're dealing with the current COVID outbreak there at the moment. Claude, do you like this space in general and specifically, obviously, when we're taking a look at Teotech? Well, yeah. So let's 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 um, discuss what we think this what what this space is. So you could say this space is like med tech and stuff, which is obviously definitely is the space that I invest in. And, and look, m once many years ago, um, as a tech investor, I did have a very uh, close look at Antio and, and kind of even thought it sort of believed it a little bit. Um, but really, what I think this space is with Antio Tech, it's the space in which you have companies that are constantly trying to raise capital from shareholders. 
And you'll have noticed that around the COVID outbreak, suddenly a lot of companies were doing um, COVID testing or COVID this, COVID that, cleaning. We had a hand sanitizer company that went to the moon and then back down to Earth now. Um, it's in that space. It is, I would say Antio is in the business of raising capital from shareholders. And, you know, these things go in cycles because if we get that five-year chart up or even longer, you can sort of see that back, maybe you have to go back 10 years now, but like there was a massive hype in this in like 2013, I want to say. Um, yeah, so at, way off that off the left of that five-year chart, there was another big spike that went up to about 40 cents or something like that, right? And that was the last time that the share price, you know, got super hype. And actually, one of the main guys promoting that um, was a guy called Matt Sanderson who had a blog called visioninvesting.com.au. Now, that no longer exists, but if you go on the Wayback Machine, you can still find that website. You know, and you can see in like 2016, again, off the left of that of that chart, you know, there's a big, you know, capital letters, Antio set to launch disruptive product for lateral throw testing at AAACC 2016 and all of this sort of exciting stuff. You know, that guy actually subsequently became a director, had a blog about how good the company was and how he was investing in it. And then he became a director of the company. This is all way back. So this is how I, I feel old. I've been doing this long enough. I remember when there was hype about Antio tech you know, 10 years ago, and it was the same story then. And everyone was exciting and the share price went up and up. And unfortunately, I was like somewhat of a believer at that time. And I thought oh, as it was going, oh, well, maybe this is something. Of course, nothing. It's nothing. Like 10, you know, that was in 2015, say. It's more than five years later. For the last 12 months, they had receipts from customers of under $1 million. That's under $1 million. This is a story stock. Now, the share price might go up and down. I can't, I'm just one person with a long memory. I can't stop it if a million people are going to go out and tweet and say how great this stock is. I can't stop it. There's a story they're selling COVID tests now. Oh, they're the only people doing that or something. And, um, you know, hurrah, I'm, I'm not going to affect the share price. I don't care if it goes up, go for it. But if you're a long-term investor looking for a serious long-term investment, then this is definitely not what I'd be looking at. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm taking that as a definite no then from you, Claude. Um, oh, I've got and, more on that as well, but I just okay. have to stop yeah, my we're rant not, we're not gonna, We don't on. have time to do that. But um, Adam, a, a bit of a history lesson there on the company from yeah. Claude. So, so what's your perspective then? Claude, well, I, I can't see the grey hair, mate. I mean, you, you really, you deserve to have some grey hair after that history lesson, yeah? <laughs> yeah, maybe anyway. one day it's coming. <laughs> one day, it will, trust me. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, ADO, look, I'll, I'll go, uh, Claude's given us the history. I'll, I'll sort of go to now what they're actually doing and what, what, what we sort of think of the business. Um, for me, it's it's an interesting one. It's certainly one that I it would be too high risk for me to look to invest in. So if you hold it, hold it, that's fine. Uh, but I wouldn't be putting any fresh money into it. And, and I'll give you the two reasons why I wouldn't be putting any fresh money into it at the moment. But look, they've got a, 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 well, they say they've got a decent platform, which is the uh, Eugenie platform. Um, and it, it's, it's one reader that uh, reads multiple tests, and hence they're saying multiple revenue streams coming in. So this reader has um, chronic conditions, sepsis, COVID-19, bacterial diseases that you can test all from the one machine. So that actually sounds pretty good. But what's happened is, is obviously with these businesses, they can't get out and now, and they can't go to hospitals, they can't because of COVID these kinds of things. So their sales strategy is basically now they're going to have to look at multiple partners in multiple sectors or countries to then get that moving. So what's happening is, is, is that they have to then rely on another third party 
to do their sales work for them, which we found out from a lot of other biotech companies that they, you know, unless they're paying them top dollar, which means their margins get squeezed, that they're not really going to put these products in front of other products that they're going to make some more money out of. So that's the first thing. The first thing is, is that always be careful with these uh, extra distribution deals that they're talking about because I don't think those distribution deals work too well. The second thing is, is that it, it isn't uh, TGA approved, and we're looking for a TGA approval to be coming out in September. Now, uh, TGA, obviously, is Australian Therapeutic, Therapeutic Goods Administration. Obviously, that's not um, the US or Europe, sort of, that's just here in Australia. Um, and uh, that'll be in September. Now, potentially, that will be an uptick in the share price if that does get approved through the TGA. So what I would do is you would hold and wait for that announcement uh, to, to basically, if it's a good one and they do get it approved, then it, it really then changes the story of the stock because then it's all about product sales and uh, revenue. So for me at the moment, it would be a hold if you hold it uh, due to the fact that there's a couple of risks still in this stock at the present moment. All right, that is Antio Tech. Moving on to our third stock. Now, this has been in the news recently, Iris. Uh, of course, the financial software, services software group. Um, it's knocked back a um, unsolicited takeover bid from the private equity firm EQT. Um, Iris bought it essentially saying it's not, it's not good value. Adam, uh, can we expect bids forthcoming? Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting one. And we've seen a lot of mergers and acquisitions in our market at the moment, which sort of says to me that this market is still, still fairly hot and there's a lot of activity because, you know, even for the likes of something like a Sydney Airports or a Crown or, or those kinds of things, these are these businesses that have been absolutely downtrodden. There's no money going into them. Uh, there's no revenue. But big organisations can look past the COVID valley and they can see that this is something that they would want to be investing in for a 10, 20 30-year time horizon. So it's really quite good that these kinds of things are actually uh, being picked up. Iris, I think, is actually a really interesting story. I use Iris every day in, in, in our buying and selling and trading on the market, and I think it's actually quite a good one compared to, you know, obviously Bloomberg is a little bit better, but um, Iris, I think, it works well. It's quite interesting when you look at the actual announcement. It is a confidential, unsolicited, non-binding and indicative proposal. So if you could put any more words in in between the takeover bid, uh, basically they're saying, look, we want to get access to your data room, but we're not going to give you any guarantees that we're going to make a bid. So for me, I think this one is a wait and see. Um, the bid is certainly looking at, at $14.80. It looks like the share price is still a little bit below that price, which basically means that the market is not um willing to take a bet that this thing will go through and i don't think that there'll be another bidder for it so i'd be cautious here it would be a hold wait and see um for me in takeovers i always i always wait to the 11th hour to see if there's another bid if not uh sell it on market and move on to something else all right so Iris. it's a hold for me it's a hold that's, if you for... got that that's okay a hold. yeah absolutely uh claude your thoughts somebody do you think another bid is likely <laughs> Um, I don't know how likely another bid actually is. Uh, already, it seems like the price that they're offering is fairly full to me. Uh, so having said that, it's not crazy. It's only, I think, about 10% above the actual current share price. Um, so it could be. I definitely wouldn't be selling this now um, if I already held, held it because it's not crazily priced. But at the same time, it's not really a high growth, exciting business. 
Now, you could argue that its prospects in the recovery in the UK are quite good. So I think that would be a reason to potentially hold the business, even if you just put aside the potential of the bid um, coming through. But then with that potential of a takeover happening maybe 10 15% above the current share price, that's some nice little short-term um, upside. So, yeah, so for a long-term holder who, you know, just likes this as a dividend-paying business, the great thing about Iris is its products are so sticky, right? So you can have a fairly good uh, confidence that this thing will still be, if it's still listed, will be paying um, dividends many years to come. And I think it's a yield of a bit over 3%. Perhaps Adam can correct me there. I got that wrong. But, you know, I think it's pretty reasonable. Again, not my kind of kettle of fish, just because there's not enough obvious upside. But I do think that the risk reward is probably pretty decent. And it's definitely among the bigger companies that I would say I sort of find more interesting. And if you said, oh, Claude, you only have to invest in big companies, then this is probably one I'd go for. So that but is still a, a hold for me. A hold. A hold yep. for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that question, in fact, came to us from Ben. So that's a hold from both Adam and Claude. Let's move on to retail. In fact, um, it's the reject shop. And Jin wants to know about it saying that uh, it's selling in England at Tesco, getting more into the Australian May products, yet it has been smashed as far as its share price is concerned. A lot of that, the blame has come down to those lockdowns we've seen across the country. Um, so the question is, w- would you be buying it at these levels? Claude, what are your thoughts? Uh, so the reject shop is like just historically, if we look at the longer term gra- graph, it's just a massively volatile stock, um, which I think reflects underlying, like it reflects the underlying business is super volatile. Um, yeah, I mean, volatile, it looks like it's just down in that one, but I, that's because the starting point during, you know, an exciting moment for it. Um, but the reason its profits can swim, swing around so much is that um, you know, it's quite low margin. And so if it has more volume, the operating leverage kicks in and the profits are quite high. And then if it has less volume, um, then suddenly it can move into losses and stuff like that. And then, you know, suddenly people are worried about if it can pay its rent and whether it has debt and if it needs to raise capital and that kind of thing. So low margin business that's volatile, that's basically the opposite of the kind of business that I invest in. Like, you just have to remember here, there are two kinds of things you're doing on the stock markets. One is going to be a short-term trade so you've got a clear thesis it has an expiry date that might be something for reject shop like oh there's going to be better sales coming forward their profit's going to spike the share price will go up and then i sell that might work for the reject shop but i don't know how you'd formulate that thesis right now with lockdowns coming in and everything so yeah i would say pass on the short-term trade thesis and then on the long-term thesis i mean it's just such a dangerous place to play look at you saw that long-term share price this is a difficult business it's like literally the opposite of good quality business you're trying i'm trying to look for high margins sticky recurring revenue like we're talking about with iris you know really built to last i'm i'm not there like how many competitors to the reject shop have you know just disappeared over the years There's, what's the competitive mode it's it's just a really difficult area to play so yeah that's an avoid from me for sure and avoid. Yeah, well, you've rejected the reject shop. Uh, Always. Yeah. Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with Claude on this one. It's, it's a sell from me. I, I, I don't think that um, there's there's a lot there that you'd be really sort of comfortable with. Um, I, I did, did hear you say about Tesco. I think Tesco has actually exited that global or has exited with the reject shop. They've exited that global wholesale agreement. Um, Tesco's has said that they'll continue that product line or those product lines through till 
end of Christmas 2021, but then they're basically uh, going to be finding or trying to help because they, the reject shop had a very good uh, relationship with Tesco and, and they've basically said that Tesco is going to try and find them another alternative for some of their top selling lines. So, um, yeah, I think that was, was a big thing. You know, it, it, a little bit of history lesson on this one um, uh, is that, you know, before COVID, these guys uh, basically 2019, 2020, I think at $2.70, they raised uh, their entire market cap again to keep the business alive. Then they got a takeover bid from a US business, and that's where you can see that from uh, in that bottom of 2020, and then it rallied uh, up uh, to sorry to get there. So then from there, uh, obviously, then the stock has been moving sideways as well. So look, I, I think the the risk to the upside is is that they got you know they they basically got to continue the store rollout, and that's the whole thing about these stores is is that momentum moving and that rollout. But then also, um, I just think that. You know, two dollar stores, that kind of thing. It, it, it's at that lower end margin, and I think those margins are really tough to come by. As Claude said, it's all about volume, and these guys really aren't getting the volume at the moment. So yeah, it'd be it'd be a sell from me. Okay, that's a reject stop rejected by both Adam and Claude. To our fifth stock, and this is coming to us. Um, in fact, uh, it's coming to us from Charlie Web Central. Uh, and he wants to know an opinion. It is a digital services provider, a ticket code there, WCG. And think, I think it uh, just participated in the merger, did it not, with uh, 5G Networks. Um, Adam? Yeah, it's an interesting one, this one. And, and yes, they, they did agree. And I think 5GN actually tried to make a takeover bid for it. And then it, uh, and, and someone's going to correct me on this one, but I, I think then they went to a merger. So the, the sort of merger of equals, and I think that's now started to go through. Um, look, you know, Web Central, I, and again, I'm, I'm sort of going out. Was this the old Melbourne IT business? I'm not too yes. sure. I'm going to have yes. to. Yes. It was? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. So, if yeah, this one's a tough one uh, for me if it's the old Melbourne IT business. That's been absolutely uh, you know, uh, hit pretty hard. Uh, look, you know, it looks okay on the chart. I just think that the, you know, obviously the merger is going to create some value, and I think that's a real positive for the business. But yeah, for me, it would, if you hold it, then I'd be okay to hold it. But I suspect most people have held this from higher levels, and so they're still pretty hurting. So um, look, for me, uh, it, it's probably a hold. I, I, yeah, there we go. Um, you, you can't see too much going on on this one, and it's 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 a really tough space. So for me, it's a hold. Um, let's see how this merger works and see if they can get the synergies, and then we might have to revisit it. But yeah, for me, at the moment, hold. Okay, I get the sense we're going to get another history lesson from Claude here. Kevin, <laughs> you're talking about yeah. old Melbourne IT like, business. People, people underrate the value of history. Like if you no, care about context, um, yeah. If you care about making money, one of the best ways you can get an edge over other market participants is to actually study study people and study the culture of organizations and um you know this is the third name that this company has had when it's been listed in the time that i've been following it was melbourne it and then adam missed out arc group and now it's web central so like how many times that oh now it's going to be 5gn right because it's going to get merged into another one so you know i get the real question is do you want to own shares in 5g networks basically and um, you know that might be uh, that might be the right kettle of fish for some people. In in, in some ways, that's the um, that's the chart that we should also look at. Basically, the thing is, 
that um, 5G network is just this roll-up of, in my opinion, mostly sub-quality, sub not-so-good um, businesses in the sort of IT, managed services and connectivity and telecommunications space. And it's an interesting one because um, for those kind of businesses, because they use shares as currency, um, as their share price gets higher, their value of their currency goes up and then they can make acquisitions sometimes at good prices using that high value currency to sort of keep the thing going and, and keep boosting their earnings and stuff. But what I think is that ultimately what networks is, is basically a collection of mostly subscale, but also really like just sub quality IT kind of businesses. And I, and even though um, there's definitely the possibility that the share price of 5G networks could get undervalued and maybe it's more on the undervalued side right now, um, it's, it's come down over 50% from the high so you just want to be careful with a business like 5g network you don't want to um you know buy into the like the narrative like it can go on forever these acquisition roll-up strategies cannot categorically cannot go on forever so you know you want to be careful about what price you're playing and, and what you're holding at and stuff like that as well so yeah for me it's probably just it's probably an av avoid because i think that 5g network is too far into its roll-up journey a lot of the easier targets have been going and generally thing speaking things will probably get harder for it to keep the acquisition train going. Um, so yeah, it, it's probably a, a no thank you for me on Web Central and 5G networks. Okay, that rounds off our first five stocks. In fact, let's uh, just get a, a bit of a uh, summary of where we're at. So we began with Namoy Cotton, um, which was a, a hold from Adam, despite his saying he doesn't really like agriculture. Uh, he sees that as a risk. And uh, Claude, uh, there's a note from Claude pointing out that historical tension, particularly between growers and shareholders. Um, Antio Tech, that's a no from Claude, uh, essentially saying it's in the business of uh, capital raising and has a bit of a history of, uh, of hype. Adam's saying it's a hold. Once again, too high risk and no fresh money. Iris has been in the news as far as that uh, takeover bid was concerned. A hold from Adam. Um, he uses it every day. That's got to be a plus. And, um, yeah, uh, also a hold from Claude, finding that stock interesting. The reject stop, as I mentioned, I can't help it. It is a reject from both of them. Um, massively volatile, saying Claude. And uh, particularly as far as those tough margins are concerned, it's a sell from Adam and a void from Claude. And just finally, Web Central, a hold from Adam. And Claude saying it isn't a void. Uh, makes the point historically, which is that it's the has its third name now. I guess that is a um, bit of a, a worrying sign of continually rebranding the business. Now, of course, uh, on the call we've got our own portfolio, which has been we've been tracking since uh, July first last year, thanks to our partner Nab Trade, and all the stocks that get the two thumbs up or a buy from both of our exports on the show. Well, we've been putting them in. So let's just check up how it's been performing, and we're up. Uh, half a percent for the week on the month, nearly 2% higher and year to date. Uh, that's in fact since July 1st, it's only the, the month, so uh, just shy of 2%. Taking a look at some recently added stocks, we've got Steadfast, uh, Goodman Group, Rio Tinto out of course just recently with its uh, results, a Midway and building products company, James Hardy. Stocks that we've removed, Evolution Mining, Premium, and McMahon in that financial space. And you can check out all the stocks we've been 
having the calls portfolio by heading to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Our next stock, and Jessica wants some analysis of Monash IVF Group. And uh, Claude, of course, uh, in the business of uh, fertility, uh, just not taking a note actually that Macquarie thinking that things could turn around for Monash because more fertility activity is expected. How are you looking at this stock? For sure. Well, um, actually, this is probably my favourite idea on the on the list today. So thanks to the person who wrote that one in. I like your thinking. Um, I do not own shares in this myself, but actually, it's actually quite close to the top of my um, watch list for potential buys. So that means I do consider it undervalued. I basically do think it's in the buy zone. It's just not one of my favorite ideas right now. I've got a few other ideas that I think are better, and that's filling up my portfolio. But uh, yeah, sort of, it definitely looks good to me. So basically, the story here is that you know, they're, a bit, they're a fairly big IVF provider in Australia. I think they have some operations in Malaysia. Um, they've got a massive weakness in their business model, which is that, um, you know, the actual professionals, the fertility specialists have a lot of power. And a few years ago, you had a whole debacle where, you know, the CEO was there, sold some shares, quit. And then not long after that, their star fertility specialist also quit, set up in competition to Monash IVF. That's just bad look, real disaster. You see the share price goes from $2.40 about down to where it is today or even lower i think i bought this last year when it was like down at 50 something cents or whatever because even though that was a terrible debacle you know the actual business it's not perfect because you have so much power in the control of the professionals who are essentially like employees but at the same time it makes sense for them to be part of a bigger group and you can see the recovery there in the last year like i I sold quite a long time ago it was a quick trade for me but i still think it's good value now not least because even at the low end of guidance this cheap on around less than 15 times price to earnings on top of that they've recommenced their dividend payments which i think they paused due to COVID, because obviously you know the COVID thing shut down the um the demand for ivf for a little bit because for a lot of people it's not being such a priority but here's the thing you know if you delay um doing ivf for a year then after a year you're probably going to want it even more than you did before because you're you know you may be running out of time basically to have a baby so I think a lot of that, uh, a lot of the missed um, business that they've had over during the pandemic, like that's still there, a lot of it. And the sad thing is, and this is actually genuinely sad, is if, if someone didn't go to the IVF place when they were 34 and instead they're going back when they're 36, the actual chances are they're going to need to have more cycles and pay more money for the IVF in order to get pregnant. So, yes, I agree with Macquarie and I definitely believe that probably the next year or so for this business or next two years should be pretty strong. On top of that, you've seen some recent director buying. Uh, the price isn't demanding. Like, you know, on the one hand, we've got software stocks on 50, 80 times revenue. On the other hand, here we've got this business that's like, you know, pretty good business for 15 times earning 4 point something percent dividend yield. Um, yeah, I quite like it. You know, I'd, I'd say notionally for me, it's a buy just with mm. the caveat that I'm not going to buy it because I've got better ideas. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, that probably answers uh, Jessica's uh, question, I should say. Adam, um, yeah, so yeah. Claude's saying essentially it's undervalued. What do you think? Yeah, look, it, look and I, I've seen the same Macquarie note that you're sort of talking about. And if you go back a step, um, we're, we're not traveling. So no one's doing these European holidays. So there's, there's a fair bit of discretionary money sort of sitting around when you're 
potentially go on a holiday once a year or twice a year. Um, and then also, you know, you've got this family unit that's now coming back together again as far as um, people are wanting more children and, and, and that kind of thing. And with COVID, everyone's sort of potentially uh, wanting to grow their family a, a little bit more. So, you know, the backdrop of that, that means that there's, there's more and more spending that could potentially happen in this space. Um, you know, M, uh, MVF actually trades on a forward PE of sort of 3.2 times. 12-month forward uh, estimates, but that and it also represents about a 27% discount to the small ordinary. So it actually seems that there is some value in this. Uh, I, I think it's okay. I mean, it, it doesn't look too bad on the chart. It looks like it's sort of forming a decent base around this 80 cent, 85 cent mark. Look, I, I probably, it, it, look, I'm going to say it's a buy for so for with Claude as well on this one. I think it's a quick trade though. I, I agree with Claude's thesis that you know you don't want to stick around in this for too long. I think if you buy some here at 87, it gets to a dollar or something like that. I think I'd I'd take some money off the table. Dollar's a big number for this thing to get through with its past history as well. But look, they've got some attractive industry fundamentals. They're investing for the future and they've got some different uh, avenues for growth as well. So it actually sits up okay in this sort of COVID environment. So I think it's a quick trade and you do okay at it. Mm. All right, well done guys. A buy from both of you, it's going in the portfolio. Good one. Just have All to right. hope that it doesn't stay there for too long. Yeah, okay. All right, note taken. Uh, no now let's sure. take a look at ASX, the stock. Uh, Lily asking, is this one of the most overlooked monopolies on the market today? Now, Adam, I'm going to start with you because I seem to remember we had a promo running on, on Ausbiz for a while and you asked, this is a table thumper. It's a buy. And you were referring to ASX, were you not? Do you still hold that opinion? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I really like this story. Uh, obviously, I'm in the markets every day and I see how much deal flow that we're getting compared to the rest of the street, which is absolutely going crazy. Now, remember, mergers and acquisitions are fantastic for the ASX. Capital raisings are fantastic for the ASX. IPOs are fantastic for the ASX. Trading is fantastic for the ASX. And all of those numbers and all of those metrics are moving higher. So, yeah, I really like this story. I think it's a good quality blue chip stock that clients can set and forget. Uh, it's got a great dividend. It's got some more money moving in there. And I, you know, I don't want to sort of, you know, blow my own trumpet here. However, uh, I think I was talking about this sort of in April, March this year, and it has done very well since. And I think it still can do very well. There are a couple of naysayers out there as far as uh, that the, they're saying that that growth or that sustainable growth cannot be moved or cannot be replicated. And they're always considered worrying about these things. I do think that the long-term expectations of this business is very conservative and they do have a sustainable growth of around about 5% per annum. So it's not huge, but also a dividend of around about 4% uh, as well. So I really think that that's something that I think looks pretty good, looks good on the chart as well. Um, I, I'm comfortable with it. I am staying with my buy on ASX. All right. Good one. Claude? Would you agree? Come on, Claude, give us your real. Get, tell me what you're <laughs> I, I'm so I so want to I so want to agree with you because I do agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, and you know, if I was if I was a big cats guy, I reckon I'd be singing um, a similar tune to you on this one. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Absolutely. It's one of the one of the better large companies. Again, like, got to come back to this theme. You know, there's it depends what you want out of the market this one like forget nab this one i can understand why you would hold that if you're just like a long-term investor because you know adam outlined perfectly that that case basically but the key thing here is that like 
I just think that it will keep growing. Like it will be a bigger business in 10 years. It's not heaps of growth, but I think you can say that with some certainty. That's different from like banks and mining companies that tend to do like big swings and roundabouts depending on macroeconomic stuff. This is a pretty resilient business. Obviously, sentiment affects the share price. So if sentiment goes down, its share price will go down. But the actual business itself, you know, as long as you've got those corporate deals, you know, there's a big stock market crash, there's a recession, oh, you still need capital raisings, company needs to recapitalize. You know, there's a big run up in the stock prices. There's heaps of action like we've had in the last year. And it's still good for ASX. You know, as long as things are happening a lot in capital markets, these guys will do well out of it. So I have to say like that, the price isn't too insane for that kind of thing. But at the same time, I'm just not, I can't see the thesis for, I guess, like why the re-rate from here, because it does seem fairly fully valued. Yeah, I think it's, uh, did you say four points? It's like a decent dividend yield. I, I want to say yeah, it's like four point something percent. Um, however, do I see that dividend going down to 2% because the share price is going up? Probably not. I think it's probably, I think it probably stays within around, you know, current prices just because its growth isn't that spicy um so yeah it's a good blue chip definitely agree with that but for me um you know because there's no real obvious cheap opportunity i have to say it's probably more just a hold for me okay a hold but certainly enthusiasm is continuing there for the stock asx from adam as a buy let's move on airtask of course uh, ipo'd early this year ruben wanting to know about this one. Uh, of course, it's, uh, it's all eyes on its uh, push into the States. That's the next big market. Claude, how's it going? Um, you know, look, this is a cool, this is a cool Aussie startup, um, which I love to see. And so I'm definitely watching it uh, with a, a lot of uh, interest. Um, however, what we do also, I think that the thing, you know, I guess I'm channeling Rudy a little bit here. But the thing about Airtasker is that it is a recent IPO and it also did IPO with a lot of fanfare and perhaps, you know, Adam might have some interesting perspective from the broker side of things here, but it did um, IPO with a lot of fanfare and like the, the share price graph shows that it spiked up to above $1.60, right? And now it's been down ever since. And basically, I just think even though this is a business that is good enough, to definitely have on your watch list and definitely have a price that you're willing to pay for it. I think what happens is if, if you're buying now, you're buying into like massive excitement, still a lot of um, expectation. You know, these guys have $45 million in cash from memory. They're going to need to be using that cash and they will. They're, they're going to, this is a decent strategy, by the way, a great strategy, but like they're going to use that cash and they're going to try and crack into a bigger market and become a much bigger company. But I think that the time when I'm going to be looking to try and buy shares is when they've been spending all that cash and losing heaps of money trying to make progress somewhere, but they're not getting any extra revenues from it yet. And their financials are going to look way worse than they already look. And, you know, already right now, these guys are burning cash in the last quarter, um, even putting aside business acquisitions, you know. So these guys are already burning cash now. They're going to spend more money. There's going to be some serious cash burn going on as they try to build this sort of network thing. And then the other thing you've got to remember is once it's listed for longer, we're going to have a better idea of actually how resilient and good this Airtasker sort of platform and concept is. Because one of the things that kept me out of the stock, um, aside from just the risk of an IPO, the main thing that kept me out of it is when I was doing my research and doing a bit of uh, customer, I I've even signed up and done a task on Airtasker and all this sort of stuff. But I'll tell you, like, it makes no sense to me why somebody, you know, 
wouldn't just say to the person when they've done the job the first time, hey, you know, do you want me to come back and do your lawns again? Or do you need help with this again in the future? And then you just cut out Airtasker. So I'm just not super confident about how, um, you know, if how well the Airtasker platform will capture like ongoing business. Um, so yeah, for, for me, I think I probably find high pages a little more interesting in this space because of that's focus on tradies and tradies tend to be there more for the one-off job more. But that's just a side thought, really. I don't own either of them. And I have to say, um, Airtasker is just a wait and see one for me at the moment. I just want to see more data. So it's a wait for Claude. Adam, um, yeah, Claude makes a good point there. Uh, no better research than actually using the product. So have you done that? Yeah. I've used the product before and actually it's quite good. Um, but I totally agree with Claude as far as that, uh, you know, you can get their business card and have, don't have to go through Airtasker's tasks platform again and obviously they've, they've tried to make some steps to sort of stop that you know going forward look the stock has got a, a, a around about 46 million cash in the bank at the moment so there's they're fairly well cashed up and obviously post the ipo but from memory i think that they did the ipo but then they raised some capital like within three months after the ipo as well to move into the us so um i think the the market is always um skeptical about companies looking to you know in this investment phase to look to go to greater markets obviously they've got a mature market here in australia but they're moving to the us is always and the uk is always going to be uh, a, a pretty uh, pretty uh, daunting task for these guys um but if, if we start to see attraction in the us and the uk then i think that this one will and they can demonstrate a good return on investment I think this one is going to be okay. For me, there's not enough water under the bridge. It would be a hole for me if you do own it. Um, from memory, I think it was about a dollar, dollar twenty-five IPO. So you're probably under a little bit underwater here. Most brokers have got price targets around a dollar twenty-eight to a dollar thirty. So I'd just be a little bit cautious here. But look, if they can show us the growth numbers in the US, they can show us the growth numbers in the UK, and they can say that they've got a good return on investment, then I would be more considerate about buying this one. But at the moment, it's a hold from me. Okay, a bit of a wait and see from both uh, Claude yeah. and Adam there. All right, we're falling behind. Better get moving. Uh, Worley, uh, this one from Fred. Uh, of course, mining services company, you would think uh, any company you know, associated in the commodity space that benefits from that would do, be doing well. Um, Adam, how are you looking at Worley at the moment? Yeah, look, um, it, it's, it's a big business. It's got a huge headcount as well. I mean, I think that there's about... Uh, 48,000 in sort of employees on this business. So it's, it's, it's absolutely massive. Um, one of the interesting things that I do like about this, and I'll be quick, it's a hold from me. Uh, the, the reason why I like it is, is they have uh, unveiled a pathway to become ESG, uh, as my rabbit is, ESG uh, compliant uh, and looking at some of these uh, businesses where they can get more efficiencies out of it. Um, I think that's a right move for the business that's taking away a little bit of revenue now but for the future, I think this one looks okay. So look, I, I like the story. I like the business. It's moving away from oil and gas, moving into sort of more decarbonisation, as well as uh, some other areas that, that, that needs that help. Uh, so look, I think it's an okay business. It's a hold uh, for me at the moment. Okay. Claude? Um, for me, Woolly would be an avoid just based on its sort of industry. So these kind of... Uh, services businesses for the mining industry tend to be very up and down and the five-year chart that we're just looking at shows that but the 10-year chart looks even worse it shows that the share price is half since 10 years ago so 
that just shows they're the kind of stock where you really need to time the market. And that whole headset of headspace of being in a stock where you have to time the market, I want to have like a clear, like I'm buying now, X is going to happen, and then I'm going to sell whether I'm right or not. But I don't really see that for Wally Parsons. It's also such a big business. It's like super macro, you know, what affects it as well. So it, it would be in the realm of like the macro call really for me, which is again, just it's, it's not the best place to fish in the stock market. And so I would say, you know, with my long-term investor hat on, I would, I'd avoid this one. All right, and avoid from Claude a hold uh, from Adam. And to our last stock, and it is United Malt Group. We're sort of uh, ending up where we started in a way in terms of uh, ag-related businesses. <laughs> of course, um, Claude, this was spun off from, from Grain Corp last year. Yeah, yeah. So I like this one. I guess it's been a potential value play and value investors have sort of seen and argued probably correctly that it has been um, fairly, fairly cheap in the past. But with... Um, the, the share price sort of coming up a little bit recently and um, also revenue down uh, 11% and a bit to down. Basically, the uh, results, the most recent results weren't particularly good. And it's a bit of a, you know, valuable, like it's a value play. You have to get excited about the, the sort of valueness of it. So I think if you're buying this at, you know, $3.50 or whatever, now is probably when actually you might be selling and just taking the profit from the re, from the re rate. So for me, it's it's probably a sell now or maybe a hold at best. It's just not a, a high enough quality business for me to want to own. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. You know, a two two cents interim dividend implies it's not going to be a massive dividend yield. It's just not cheap enough for the kind of business it is, basically, because it's always going to be up and down depending on volumes and that kind of thing. Right. Okay. Adam, would you agree? Yeah, look, it, it, it's a tough one because obviously it, it's all about beer consumption. And if you look into beer consumption, then certainly a lot of the micro breweries are doing a lot better than the big company United Breweries as such as well. So beer consumption is actually uh, probably down uh, or, or there's been a decline in beer consumption uh, across most of the areas. However, uh, United Malt Group has, is, has 13 processing plants uh, around the world, Canada, United States, UK, Australia, and it operates a very large business of full service offering for craft brewers and distillers as well. Um, so look, I think there's a fair bit of risk involved with this one. COVID-19 is definitely one, a decline in the beer consumption is another one. Changing in the amount of malt that is used in the beer production if beer production is lower, as well as supply chain disruptions uh, from COVID and those kinds of things as well. So look, for me, it's a hold. Um, I, I, I'm sort of, I like beer and I certainly, but I, I, you know, I think with everybody else, uh, beer is changing and the way people are drinking are changing. And I heard um, Constellation Brands yesterday and Diego talking uh, about how their tequila brands, their vodka brands, those kinds of things are absolutely going skyrocketing. Uh, so I think beer potentially is getting left a bit out of that. And I think that uh, is one of the reasons why I'd say it's a hold or um, be careful with this one. All right, hope that answers the question from Charlotte. So just summing up there, the last five stocks uh, started with a goodie, uh, Monash IVF. Uh, it's uh, undervalued, saying Claude, uh, plenty of uh, discretionary cash, but be quick, says uh, Adam, it is a buy from both. That means it's in the portfolio. Um, ASX, uh, current market, uh, it's good. Uh, set and forget, says Adam, it's a buy, but it's a hold from Claude, saying it's fully valued. Airtasker, um, 
pretty much a wait and see from, from both, I guess, given its expansion plans into the States. Uh, recently IPO'd, of course, well cashed, cashed up, saying Adam. And Worley, uh, a hold from Adam, ESG compliant. That's obviously a positive, but it's an avoid from Claude. Uh, just too volatile in that service, mining services space at the moment. And United Malt Group, a sell from Claude, given the recent results, not great. Uh, Adam's saying it's a hold. He loves beer. Who would have guessed? <laughs> hey, guys. Friday night with you, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We miss those, don't we? Let's, we do. uh, we let's do. get rid of this, uh, this current lockdown. All right. Hey, guys, uh, terrific to have your uh, company on the show. Claude from A Rich Life, thanks so much. Adam from Shore & Partners, as always. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. And, of course, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, uh, the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at ausbiztv. And a reminder to find all the stocks we have in the call's portfolio, you can head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. All right, don't forget to subscribe to the Ausbiz newsletter too, where you get uh, all the different views. Scuddy's View, the COV podcast, popular videos. You can subscribe at ausbiz.co forward slash the COB. Thanks for watching.